love that getting to hear you're awesome. You just need to come to church. You just need to be told that, all right? So, and uh, we're just glad that you are here. I hope you had a wonderful week. Hopefully you grabbed a cup of coffee or a donut on your way in. We're excited to have you here. We are in our series entitled Relationship Status. We're going through the book of Ruth. Ruth is a a four-chapter book, and we're in chapter number four of Ruth that we've been studying. Ruth is a woman from another country who gets married, and 10 years later, her husband passes away, and she follows her mother-in-law into the country of Israel and specifically the city or town of Bethlehem. She's single, she has nothing, she's poor, and it's here that God does a great miracle because she, unbeknownst to uh, what she had thought was going to happen, God has a bachelor ready for her, and uh, this is the first bachelor, this is where they got it from, and uh, his name is Boaz, all right? And uh, uh, Boaz and Ruth, they fall in love, and uh, over the several chapters, we get to see their relationship kind of develop, and chapter number four, we're going to see these two get hitched, all right? So we're going to dive in. If you have your Bibles, that's great. If not, the scripture will be on the screens as you came in. They work this week. Uh, I don't know about next week, but they work this week, so we're glad that you're here. Wow, things are working. Uh, Ruth chapter number four, beginning in verse number one, the Bible says this, now Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the close relative of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, come aside, friend, sit down here. So he came aside and sat down and he took 10 men at the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the close relative, Naomi, who has come back from uh, the country of Moab, sold the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. Elimelech was Naomi's husband. Elimelech died and left his wife widow, but he owned some property. And verse number four, and I thought to inform you saying, buy it back in the presence of the inhabitants of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not redeem it, then tell me that I may know for there is no one but you to redeem it. And I'm next after you. And he said, I will redeem it. It's an interesting passage. We look at it and at first glance, some of us are kind of like, what's going on here? What's this redeeming the land? Let me just give you a little cultural context into what's happening here, okay? In that day and age, if you were a widow and uh, your uh, husband had died or passed away, it was the responsibility of your closest relative to marry you and to carry on the family line. And that relative would also pay off any debt that you had. Uh, Some of you would love that and just have a little debt wiped out, you know, call for your relatives. Some of you, you are that relative. People are calling you saying, hey, can you, can you, can you spot me? And you're like, no, I don't know you, you know? And uh, so that's kind of what would happen. And so this relative is closer than Boaz. Boaz is related to Elimelech, but there's another man that is closer. Now, here's the problem. In scripture, it was a responsibility, it was a cultural norm that you would take care of this family. For several months, Naomi and Ruth have been back, but we never have any mention of this 
kinsman, that's what they would call him, uh, this redeemer. There's no mention of him in scripture coming around, checking on Naomi or Ruth, saying, hey, how are things going? What can I do for you? I'm, it's my responsibility to take care of you. He's nowhere in the picture. Scripture leads us to believe, as we'll see in the next couple verses, that two things could have happened. A, this man is already married, already has a family of his own, so his, his budget is already maxed. He can't afford to take care of somebody else. The other side is this, that uh, historians think that it's quite possible that he also could have been a very selfish person, and he said, I'll take the land, but I don't want to have anything to do with having to take care of this woman. I, I don't want that responsibility. He said, I'll take the benefits, but I don't want any of the responsibility. I'll take the relationship without the responsibility. Kind of sounds like culture today. People don't mind having a relationship as long as there's no responsibilities attached with it. And so that's where we find this passage. But in verse number five, the Bible says, then Boaz said, on the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also buy it from Ruth, the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance. And the close relative said, I cannot... Uh, buy it, redeem it for myself, lest I ruin my own inheritance. You redeem my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now, this was the custom in the former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm anything, one man took off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was a confirmation in Israel. Therefore, the close relative said to Boaz, buy it for yourself. So he took off his sandal, and Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was uh, Kilion's and Malon's from the hand of Naomi. And moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Malon, I have acquired as my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brethren and from his position at the gate. You are witnesses this day. You're like, this story was already confusing. Now you got people taking off their sandals and give them away. What's going on here? Got a bunch of men with just bare feet. It stinks, you know? And I don't know what's going on. And so in that day and age, basically it's a sign saying, hey, I am taking off my shoes. I'm relinquishing my rights to walk about the land. I'm giving that up. And that was the sign. So he takes off his sandal, hands it to Boaz, and Boaz says, hey, you're all witnesses that I'm going to take on this responsibility. Now, at first glance, this does not seem like a very romantic gesture. I don't know about you when you're in a dating relationship or you're in any relationship. The guy's like, all right, babe, I just want to let you know this is pretty serious. And he reaches down and you're like, yes, a ring. And he pulls off his shoe. All right, there you go. No, that's just, you would just be like, what is going to... I'm sorry, we're, this is over. I just don't know what's up with you. And so it doesn't seem that romantic, but let's just kind of look at it in that cultural context of that day. In that day and age, a lot of people would look at Ruth and say, you know what? You're from another country. You worship other gods. And you know what? I, I don't know if I want to have that uh, social reputation. I, I, I just don't want to be a part of that. And so she had a background. She had a past that some people couldn't get past her past. And so she was one that people didn't want to have a whole lot to do with her, but Boaz can see past all that. And he can see that here's a good, honorable, he even says a virtuous woman or a worthy woman. And so he says, no, I want to be with you. And you say, well, if he does, why does he say I have uh, acquired as my wife? You know, that just doesn't sound like really strong, romantic language. I mean, you, you, when you go to the altar, you don't look at the crowd and say, I've acquired this woman, you know, me, Tarzan, you just, it just, it sounds kind of like that, right? And it just doesn't sound very romantic. But you need to understand the fact is that Boaz is saying, I'm basically going to pay off the mortgage of Elimelech's. Ruth, you and I are going to get married. We're going to have a son, but that son's not going to be my son. 
That's going to be Malon's son to continue Malon's line. And when May, and this son is old enough, his name's going to be Obed. When Obed is old enough, the mortgage that I paid off in the house and land, that's not mine. I'm not adding that to my wealth. I paid that off. That's going to go to him to continue Malon's line. It's a very selfless, very generous act to do. Now, it doesn't seem romantic because today we think romance is all about dinners and date nights and flowers and expensive jewelry and concerts. We don't see that, guess what? To have a great relationship, it's gonna cost something. Today, we don't see that as all that sexy or glamorous to have to invest into a relationship. And we're wondering why we don't see these passionate, exciting, renewed relationships like we should. Have you ever thought about this though? That when it comes to renewal and a lot of relationships probably need a renewal, need because you maybe have gone through what we call a dry spell. Maybe there's been a time where you're like, the spark's gone out. Maybe there's not the kindle, the flame, there's the excitement. There once was a time where you couldn't wait to text them, call them, FaceTime them, Snapchat, just be with that person. Or for some of you, send smoke signals. You're a little bit older in here. And so I don't know what you would do, you know, uh, tap on a little thing and the Morse code, get a, I love you, you know. I know I'm getting death stares. I better stop right now. You know, I have more that I could go on. Carrier pigeons, you know, <laughs> little falcon. You know, I don't know some of you what to use, but, uh, you know, um, but there's all these uh, uh, things. And so and you just couldn't wait to be with that person. And so maybe you're at the point where you're like, I just don't feel that anymore. I feel kind of dead inside, cold. And see, so how do I renew? How do I rekindle the romance that once was there? And that's a great question. And I think when it comes to this thought of renewal, we, we renew a lot of things nowadays. We have to renew our driver's license. We have to renew our passports. We have to renew our prescriptions. We even have to renew our Costco membership. The Bible even says to renew our minds. The one thing we rarely do is renew our relationships though. Now here's the thing though. When it comes to relationship renewal, we do have some renewals that we do. They're called renewing our vows. But typically that happens after 25 years of marriage. Typically it isn't something we we do all the time. And beyond that, there's a lot of space to have some seasons where there's difficulty, where there's drama and trauma. And so to wait that long to actually renew the relationship, we're missing out on what God has intended. And a lot of people today, they're saying, I want a relationship like so-and-so. I want that relationship. And so instead of people in the church having these thriving, growing, healthy relationships, we have relationships that are cold and stale and that are in need of renewal our need of investing. You see, there's two things about your relationship. You're gonna either invest in a proactive way or a reactive way. You say, what do you mean proactive? Proactive is, hey, we're gonna go out and we're gonna have a date. We're gonna hire a babysitter or, or we're gonna make sure the kids are taken care of and I'm gonna make sure you're taken care of. We're gonna, we're gonna be proactive about this. Or there's the reactive you on the way out from work or you via text, you said something that was unkind. And when you get back, you're like, I better come home with some flowers. I better come home with a card. I better come home with a new car, maybe. I don't know what the extent of the damage was, but you're thinking reactive. And that's never a healthy place for a relationship to always live in reactive mode. That I'm just reacting to the issues that I've caused. So you can choose right now, am I gonna live in proactive mode, which is my choice and it's healthy and it's vibrant, or I can live in reactive mode. And so we've all been in both. 
You're, you're going to experience both. But what I'm saying this morning is let's invest in the relationship. Here, Boaz is going to pay a great price. And many of us would think that's not too sexy. That's not too romantic, but it actually is. If you're willing to pay the price, you can have a great relationship, but it's going to cost you something. And today we live in a day and age that says, no, 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 you got Tinder. You got all these things. You don't need to pay a price. No, come on. You don't have to invest in the relationship. And sadly, we've got a culture even where uh, women today are treated that, hey, just be grateful you got a man that's interested in you. I mean, it, it's so sad how we treat people today. Just, just you be grateful that I'm paying you any attention. You know, I could have had any girl I wanted. You know, he's, he's looking all slavish and then you're just like, scratch your head like, really, man, uh, what happened? You know, and um, so you're looking at this person and this person and you guys are, you're coming to an impasse because there's no longer the investment. There's no longer pain to invest in the relationship. But I want to encourage you that your relationship can be up for renewal. Touch your neighbor and say, hey, Your relationship is up for renewal. Your relationship is up for renewal. It can happen. Here's what I know about you. There are three phases in your relationship. Either right now the relationship is good or the relationship is not good or the relationship is getting better. Those are the three stages. You're in a place where your relationships are good. You're in a place where relationships are bad or you're in a place that the relationship is getting better. Those are the three places we find ourselves. So what are we gonna do to say, I want a great relationship. I want a relationship that thrives and succeeds when everything around culture, everything right now just kind of shows that it's really difficult to have a healthy, awesome relationship. And here I see Boaz, he invests so much, doesn't he? He, he invests so much of his time, his energy. He's going through a lot to get a wife. He's really going through it. But here's what I like. Ladies, if he'll go through a lot of work to get you, he'll go through a lot of work to keep you. That's pretty good. I know today uh, we got a culture that says, hey, you know, lower your standards. Just, just No, come on, lower, lower your standards a little bit. Stop being so uptight about the men that you date. And I'm so sorry because we got a culture that is really downplaying women and their expectations of how a man should treat you. And it's really sad. Today, because of the music that's out there, women are referred to degrading terms. And you've got a culture of, they're not men, they're boys who can shave. They think that's how you treat a woman. And instead of understanding that there is love, there is respect, there is cherishing, there is honoring, we've got a culture just thinks that, hey, you know what? I'm just in it for what I can get. It's all about my physical enjoyment and pleasure and not seeing the value in that other person and not saying, hey, I want, I want to invest in this person. Some of you, you're looking at your spouse and you're saying, my spouse is just no good. My spouse is just not worth it. But I understand, but understand this, what you invest, what you give you will get. What you give, you will get. If you're giving nothing, you're gonna get nothing. I'm just saying it right now. Now, that applies to your job. That applies to your parenting. That applies to your dating, whether you're engaged or whether you're married. What you give, you will get. It's the law of sowing and reaping. Galatians 6, 7. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever man sows, that will he also reap. He that sows to the flesh shall the flesh reap corruption. He that sows to the spirit shall the spirit reap life everlasting. That, that's God's promise. That's a law. Whether you're a, a Christian here that believes the Bible or whether you're just here checking things out, there's a spiritual law, just like the law of gravity. There's a law. We call it the law of sowing 
sowing and reaping. Some people call it karma. Some people call it yin for yang. But it's a spiritual principle here that as you invest in your relationship, you will get a return. But we live in a culture that stopped investing. You say, no, no, I did that in the dating stage. No, no, never stop dating your spouse. And that's not just to the men, that's also to the ladies. This is a vice versa. This is a two-way street. This is saying, hey, what kind of relationship do we want? And so here's a man who's saying, I want a great relationship and I'm willing to pay the price for it. Would you right now make a decision, write in your notes saying, I'm gonna pay the price for a great relationship. I'm willing to invest. I'm willing to do what it takes because too often meet a lot of people, they have a dream, an idea, but guess what? A dream without a plan is just a wish. It's never gonna happen until you make a plan and say, this is the type of relationship we're going to have. It's never going to happen. So stop just wishing for it. Stop just hoping for it. Stop just wondering and start working towards this. You say, hey, how can I have a renewed relationship? Notice if you would, verse number one. I love it. The Bible says this. And when Boaz went, Boaz went up to the gate, he sat down. Typical guy. As soon as he gets home, sits down, right? Man, you see men, even you men, you came in, what'd you do? You sat down. That's the first thing you want to do. You just want to sit. You just got up and you already wanted to sit. You go to work, you just sit. You get in your car, you just sit. Well, that's normal. But I mean, there's all these things you just do. You just want to just sit. This is a typical guy. But wait a minute. I love the fact that he can sit. He's in love with the woman and the way he's got to get it worked it out is he's got to go to the gate. I'm the type of guy to be standing at the gate like, hey, where are these people at? We had an appointment. Get over here. We got to get this thing done. I want to get married. I want to be with this woman. Hurry up. We don't know I have all day. But instead, he's tough and temperate. He's tough and temperate. Something that we lack a lot of today. It's hard to find a man who is a tough, strong man, but also a temperate man. I call it something like this. It's steel wrapped in velvet. It's that you're strong, but you're also soft. You see, today we think that to be a macho man, you got to be a beer drinking, cussing sailor type man who treats women that they're nothing to be valued. And that's kind of what we think the macho man mystique is. But that mystique is a mistake in your marriage. Okay. So when we approach this thing, we need to say, wait a minute, I need to have the right view of what I need to be as a man. And Boaz, even though he needs to take care of this situation, even there, though there's a lot going on, the Bible says he sat down. He's not on edge. He's not nervous. He's not worried. Even though, guess what? This guy could end up marrying the woman he's in love with. Very well could be. This guy could say, yeah, I want to redeem. I'm first in line. But instead of him being nervous, he's saying, nope, I trust the Lord. I've given it to him. I'm going to sit down. Some of you are so anxious about the relationship. You're so upset. You're so fretting. You're so nervous. You're so wondering. You're thinking, I'm going to be single forever. I'm never going to meet the one. I'm never going to be that person. Our relationship's never going to get fixed. And guess what? Your negativity, your doubt is becoming a self-fulfilling prophecy. You can't enjoy the relationship you've got because you're worried about it so much. Instead of sitting down and saying, wait a minute, I want a renewal, but I need to stop. I need to be tough and I need to be temperate. I need to be controlled in this situation. You say, how do we know Boaz is so temperate? Chapter number three, remember what happened? Two weeks ago, we looked at this. This, uh, this, this woman, uh, Ruth, has a mother-in-law. Her mother-in-law's name is Naomi. Naomi wants to get Ruth married, wants to get her uh, hitched to a guy. And so the end of the barley harvest has happened. They're, the men of the city of Bethlehem, they're kind of grinding the grain. They've got it. It's payday. They're all at the threshing floor. They put all the grain into sacks. They're ready to sell it. But before they can sell it, it's nighttime. So what they're going to do is all the men of the city come out and they go to the threshing floor and they camp out. 
And it's kind of a guy's thing in that culture. All the men would get together. They would drink a little bit. They'd have a good time. But Naomi's got this plan. Her plan is, hey, Ruth, you like that guy Boaz, right? Like, Boaz got them eyes and them shoulders. It's just like, you know, it just, just kind of, hey, that, that, that's the guy. And so you, you like him, right? And Ruth, you know, probably sheepishly smiled and, and turned a little bit red and blushed a little bit. And she said, okay, here, here's what we're going to do. I want you to go get cleaned up, take a shower, do your hair, get your nails done, go buy a new dress at Macy's and you come back, get looking all good. And I'm going to tell you what to do. She goes and does all that, comes back, looks really good, new clothes, looking all nice. And then... Naomi says to Ruth, all right, now, the guys are at the threshing floor. Tonight at midnight, I want you to go find Boaz. Tonight? Like, not right now? No, 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 wait till tonight. And first, make sure he has a little bit to drink. This is the Bible. Some of you thought, no, that's not in the Bible. Go read it. It, it, some of you think the Bible's boring. It's not. It's crazy. Some of the stuff that happens in the Bible, you're like, no, that wouldn't. Yes, it does. It's crazy. Don't let your kids read it, but you can read it. And um, that sounded so bad, didn't it? Don't let your kids read the Bible. Man, certain parts, certain parts. All right. We've got to be discerning parents. And so here, here's what Naomi tells Ruth. Ruth, hey, tonight at midnight, go find Boaz where he's at. And then guess what? He's got a little sleeping bag. You get in his sleeping bag, okay? And uh, at midnight. And uh, then Ruth says, okay, I just have one question question, Naomi. Uh, what's, what Naomi says, what's that? Uh, what should I do when he wakes up? No joke. Here's what Naomi says. Whatever the man tells you to do. Okay. Here's the type of guy that would be tempted in that situation. Every kind. Okay. There's just, it's not a good situation for anybody to be in. All right. That's just not a good situation. You're camping. You've had a little bit to drink and now somebody's in your sleeping bag. All right. It's like, wait a minute, you know this, but the scripture is so awesome. Boaz doesn't do anything. Matter of fact, Boaz treats her honorably. Boaz respects her. Boaz has been put into a bad situation, but guess what? He maintains his integrity. He maintains his honor and hers. And so we see this temperate, but tough. Today, you live in a culture that says, hey, you have a sex drive, let sex drive. That's what they say. Everything is just about, hey, just, just feed the flesh, do what feels good, live for the moment, live for now, and just kind of enjoy yourself. Life is short, and so sow your wild oats. But the problem is, it's okay to have a sex drive, but it's not okay to let sex drive. But we live in a culture that's the exact opposite. Your culture is pushing our children and it's pushing you to that edge and to the beyond where we should. There's a book out and it's called Porn Ready Kids. You say, what is it? It's actually a really good book. Parents should probably read it. And it's opening our eyes to what culture and what stores like Forever 21 and H&M are actually on the posters. What are they conditioning your children to act like and to be like? Now I shop H&M. I'm not here to say, don't go shopping anymore. I'm just saying, know what culture is doing. Know what the music is saying. A lot of times you're like, well, I fed them. I got a roof over their head. I don't need to worry about what they watch, what they listen to. But the problem is you're wondering why your 14-year-old is already acting out on things that you thought as a 14-year-old they would never do. But it's because the culture that they live in is getting them ready for something. It's teaching girls to be, uh, that, that to be popular, show a little bit of skin, leave nothing to the imagination. It's teaching little boys to start acting like macho men and do things that they normally wouldn't do. And it's sad that's our society, that our society says, be tough, but don't be temperate. But we in the church need to say, wait a minute, I want a renewed relationship. You want that renewed relationship? Learn temperance. Learn to say, hey, I'm angry, I'm upset, but I'm not going to say anything in this moment. 
I'm not going to do anything in this moment that would hurt the other person because I want to fix this relationship. I don't want it to, 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 to damage any further. Boaz learned this temperance. He learned this strength. You say, how do we know he was tough though? In chapter two, this is when Boaz first meets Ruth. He sees her in the field. What does Boaz do? He tells his servants, hey guys, don't you touch her. And guess what his servants did? They listened. And Boaz even told her, don't go in somebody else's field. Boaz is a wise man. He knows what happens to, to, to girls in the field among these other men. And so he was watching out for her. And guess what? His servants listened, which means he was tough. You see, we need to be tough, but temperate. And that goes both ways. Learning to have the tough, but temperance. My wife and I, we like uh, to use Spotify. Any Spotify fans in the house? A few of you. Any Spotify premium, you pay the extra. Yeah, there's like two of us. The rest of you guys are so cheap. You want the free, all the ads is annoying. My goodness, you're in your playlist and all of a sudden you get some ad for something crazy. You're like, what? You know, this is annoying. So uh, I pay, uh, don't tell my wife that. I, well, too late. Um, you know, it's one of those things where I try to, uh, I like to pay for it because I don't want to have any interruptions. But here's the best thing I like about it. If you don't pay, you only get a few skips. You only get to skip like five times and you're stuck with that same dumb songs over and over. You got to just listen to it. Otherwise you just turn it off or you just break your phone, just throw it away. And uh, so I, I like to pay a little bit extra and then I can skip. But here's another thing. I can also select. Some of you need to skip and select things that are good for your relationship. But instead, we don't skip and select. Instead, we're just letting whatever happen, just whatever comes our way, and we're not being selective and skipping things that aren't helpful for our relationship. There are things that you and I do that are not helpful. Instead of saying, wait a minute, I'm angry, I'm upset, I'm gonna skip, I'm gonna select something else. No, we just say, nope, I'm gonna take this on. You're jealous, you're angry, you're bitter, you're, you're, you're jealous of something. And instead of saying, wait a minute, what do I need to do in this situation? Skipping and selecting the right thing we're selecting the wrong thing. And so God says, I have a better way for you. I want you to skip and select the right things. But some of you are here and you're saying, yeah, yeah, I get it. You want to have a good relationship. But guess what? I grew up at home. My parents got divorced. Everybody around me, nobody's, nobody's doing right. The culture around me is telling me just to live however I want to. And some of you feel like you don't have the right tools to have a good relationship. But I'm here to tell you that God always provides the right tools for the task always does. Think about it. Think about it. Throughout scripture, God tells Noah, build an ark. And all of a sudden God provided all the materials that he needed. Anytime that God tells us to do something, he provides the tools for the task. So you're sitting here right now saying, I don't know. Marriage is so hard and it's so difficult. And I don't know if we're going to make it. And believe me, believe the word when God says, Hey, I'm going to give you the right tools to make it in your relationship. Here's a man that we meet in chapter four. He didn't have the money, the finances to take care of Ruth, but Boaz does. God gives Boaz the resources. God gives Boaz the patience, the frame of mind. Boaz, for whatever reason, scripture says he's an older man. He hasn't married, so he's available. God worked it all out for Ruth to have the perfect kind of guy. And so God will work it out for you that you can have the right type of relationship, the relationship that would honor God and that one that you can enjoy. But sadly though, we've got these tools, but if you're like um, in my house when I grew up, my dad would have all these tools and have these two wall. And then he would put the tools up on the wall and then he would take a Sharpie and he would trace out the tools. So they'd all be organized. So you knew here's where the hammer went, here's where the wrench. And then those are the only tools I know of actually. And there's other tools, but those are the two I know, hammer and wrench, okay? And uh, so there's other, other tools on the wall, a lot of tools. And uh, eventually I'd come into the garage and I look at my dad's tool wall. 
I'd say no tools, but all these tracing things, you know, because we'd grab his tools and we never put his tools back. We'd be walking in the yard, you stub your toe and there's half a hammer sticking out, you know, just left. It's all rusted, broken and everything. My dad just started buying tools from Harbor Freight, the cheap tools. And so they just worked there, you know? And so we look at tools, but we don't put things in their proper place. A lot of you are frustrated in your relationship because you haven't put the pieces in their place. Touch your neighbor and say, let's put the pieces in its place. Let's put the pieces in its place. Picture with me a wedding cake. You say, I'm not married. That's okay. Picture a wedding cake. Typically, a wedding cake is a couple layers, right? Typically. And some of you, you're like, no, I do cupcakes. All right. Okay, fine. Okay. But you layer the cupcakes. Okay. But usually at the top, there's a little cake that the bride and groom, they cut. Now, on top of that little cake, there's typically a decoration. It used to be that the decoration would be a little bride and groom. Now it's usually initials. I don't know what happened to the bride and groom. I try to go and find one to buy one at Michael's. They don't have them anymore, okay? So I don't know. We need to get that trend back. And I was gonna try to get a bride and groom because here's what happens, all right? You got the top of the cake and who's on the top of the cake? The bride and groom. It's okay to talk. It's all right. We're all family here, you know? Like, I'm not saying anything. I know, I know. Talk back just a little bit. Who's at the top of the cake? Bride and groom, exactly. But here's what we do. We, we see that there's the top, the bride and groom. That's the priority, the bride and groom. But here's what we do. A couple of kids come along. Where do we put them? Top of the cake next to the bride and groom. The job comes along, top of the cake next to the bride and groom. House comes along, house, top of the cake. Oh, you know what? We got a couple cars. Cars go on the top of the cake. I've never seen a cake that actually reflects reality. The reality should be, you should have a bunch of kids, a dog, a house, a car, a career, just put all kinds of crap on the top of that cake, okay? All right, that's, that's reality. But instead, what we need to do is say, just like the layers of the cake, we need to say, wait a minute, children, we love you, mom and dad love you, but guess what? You have your own room with your own bed. Woo, novel, stop sleeping in ours, okay? Put them where they're supposed to go, okay? All right, that's where you guys go. That's your room, that's your bed. That's where you guys are, okay? All right, because otherwise you will be scarred for life with what goes on, okay? And uh, so you say the credit cards, man, those can come between a relationship. Man, move those. All of a sudden, he starts going to work a little bit more and he's not spending much time with his spouse. And all of a sudden, he gets a new secretary and she's a little bit too cute. Man, I don't know why, guys don't get ugly secretaries. All of a sudden, you know, it's just a cute secretary. And all of a sudden, what goes up on top of the cake? It's little Barbie. She's up there and she wants to break Barbie's head off, you know? And then she starts going to the gym and she gets a trainer. His name's Fabio. And uh, it's just never good. Never good. If his name's Fabio, just stop right now. Don't just desist. Walk away. You know, uh, it's just not good. But instead of having the right priorities on the cake, we've got everything at the top. And you wonder why you're so frustrated and stressed out because you haven't put it in its place. So when we need to put the things back in their place, put things back in their order, God created male and female to leave and cleave to each other. Here's the thing. Children are not staying in the home or should not. They shouldn't. They're made to leave, but yet we keep bringing them back. Or they keep coming back, you know? I left Austin four times at Target this week. I don't know why he keeps coming back. I'm like, kid, boy. <laughs> I'm totally kidding. I have a four-year-old son. That would be so wrong, you know? It's tempting, though. It's tempting. And, um, but children are made to leave. The two that are made to stay is mom and dad or husband and wife. That's who's made to stay. But oftentimes they don't last because you let everything in between the relationship and starts to divide. Now, I understand that there are seasons where things kind of take priority, but that should be a season. That should never be a stage. 
we're kind of coming through a season where I've got this little 15 pound kid with the double chin. He's, he's in our bedroom and I'm like, man, got to get this kid out. You know, like when he just wakes us up and, but it's a stage, right? Please tell me parents, it's a stage. I don't know how much longer I can take, you know, I need help. And, uh, but we understand that it's a stage. It's not a season. It's a season. It's not the stage. It's going to last forever. But here's what, how I want to help you have things in right priority. I've done this before. Let me do it again. You just think in your mind. This is called the relationship test. All right. You just answer these questions in your own mind. Here's a question. Do you and your spouse or person you're engaged with, a person you're dating, have a date night at least twice a month? Some of you are like, twice a year, birthday's anniversary, booyah. Like, that's it. That's not good. That's, that's not good. You need it more than that, okay? Uh, here's another one. Do you have dinner together as a family at least three times per week? I think sometimes your families get busy. You're saying, I don't know. Uh, do your children sleep in their own beds every night? Yes. That's a good thing. They need to sleep in their own beds. He said they had a nightmare. That's on you. You let them watch that dumb, scary movie, It or whatever. Just don't. Just don't. All right? I'm saying right now, you don't want them in your room. They got their own room. And that's why you have a lock on your door. If they're not dying, they'll be fine. All right? Number four, do you have sexual intimacy with your spouse two times per week? Don't answer out loud. Uh, don't answer out loud. Keep that one between you. But there should just be some things where you just say, hey, put it on the calendar. Also, number five, do you, that's, that was a good idea for some of you. Some of you are just like, you know, that's a, something to just think about. Put it away. Just trying to help you out. Uh, do you and your spouse present a unified front when children question your authority? I am definitely Mr. Grace and my wife is definitely uh, Miss Law in our home. And what can happen is we can get in fights with each other because we don't provide a unified front. Because when my wife sends me to the grocery store to buy cereal, I buy the sugary, yummy, delicious kind. And she buys grains that you would feed to your horse. All right. It's just, they're healthy. You'll live longer, but I just don't want to eat what a horse would eat. I just, I'm sorry. I I understand you want us to be healthy and live longer, but I would just rather die young, make a pretty corpse. It's okay with me. All right. And so, uh, there's, there can be some differences of opinion there, but we need to show a united front in front of the children. What's going on? Also, last question, is weekly church attendance a priority for you and your family reflected in your schedule? Put things in their proper place. We've got to move. Last one. Learn to trust God's timing. In all of this, Ruth never imagined, beginning in chapter number one, after 10 years being married, she loses her father-in-law, she loses her husband, she's poor, she's broke, she moves to Bethlehem thinking, this is my lot in life, this is how my life turns out, this is what's going to happen. But yet she meets a wonderful man, his name is Boaz, Boaz loves her, cares for her, is willing to pay the price for her. And even after 10 years of being barren, no children, we see that the two of them, they come together, they have a son. His name is Obed. Obed has a son named Jesse. Jesse has a son named David. And David becomes the greatest king of Israel. Now, here's an interesting point. Ruth had a sister-in-law, didn't she? She did. But oftentimes, we hear about this sister-in-law and we just kind of think that, you know what? Orpah, whatever happened to Orpah? Like she's just kind of gone to the pages of history. The Bible does say that she kissed Naomi and then left. Is what we see happen. Scripture doesn't necessarily tell us the full scope, but history does tell us what happened to Orpah. Orpah goes back to Moab, but she doesn't marry anybody from Moab. No, she marries somebody from a different nation. 
nation of the Philistines. Orpah has five sons, five giants. One of Orpah's great-grandchildren's name is Goliath. Isn't it fascinating? Two decisions, two totally different decisions. One woman says, I'm gonna trust God's timing. The other one says, no, I'm just gonna gonna go back to the life that I've known. I'm just gonna live out my life. I'm gonna raise my family and they're they're just gonna keep on existing. But Ruth said, you know what? I don't see a future out of this, but I'm gonna trust God. And it's interesting that Ruth's line outlasts Orpah's line. Some of you are in the middle of a relationship and you're saying, it's just not going well. It's just not. And you're thinking, whatever happened to Romans 8, 28? And we know that all things work together for good to them who are the called according to his purpose. You're saying it's all supposed to work out for good, but it's not good right now. Can I say this to you? If it's not good right now, it means it's just not the end. Because God says all things do work out for good. So if it's not good, it's not over. It's not the end. You're in this middle season and you're saying, I know what you're gonna say next and everything give thanks for everything give thanks. No, that's not what I'm gonna say. Because a lot of times we misquote that scripture. Give thanks for everything. But it's not what the scripture says. It says, give thanks in everything. And some of you, you're like, oh, I'm just supposed to be grateful for what I have. No, no, I'm not grateful for cancer. I don't, if somebody in here gets diagnosed with cancer, I'm like, oh, what a blessing. Good for you. We're supposed to be joyful and grateful right now. That's terrible. That's bad theology. But we Christians sometimes just say things like that. Like, well, be grateful for everything. No, that's not what scripture said. In everything, give thanks. You say, I'm going through a difficult time. Okay, God's going to work in this. I don't have to be grateful for the pain, but God's going to do something. But sadly, we're, a lot of us are like Orpah and we go back. Today, ISIS is a huge problem. But what ISIS was, will do when they come to a little community, they'll, they'll tell the community a certain thing. They'll come into a community and they'll say, hey, you either need to leave, convert, or die. That's what ISIS will do. Oftentimes the families will leave. But what ISIS is known for doing is they'll go into homes and they'll set traps all throughout the home. So if you ever try to come back, you'll die. A lot of you are running back to a past that seems safe, but it's not. And just like ISIS, there are traps in the past. You're running back to old relationships. You're running back to old habits. Instead of saying, wait a minute, I'm gonna just keep following God's way. I'm gonna learn to trust God's timing because trust, even though it can be tricky, trust is the offspring of faith. That's what trust is. And so in your relationship, it's gonna take that trust. Say, God, I'm gonna trust your timing. I wanna rush this thing. I wanna get ahead of you. But God, I'm committed to trusting you. Even in the midst of life's problems, understand problems don't hold me. God's promises hold me. That's what holds me. Let's all stand as we close. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we've had together around your word. I pray right now that as we wrap up these thoughts, I pray that we would once again have a relationship that is renewed, restored, and that is amazing. The relationships that we thrive on. We want relationships where we come alive, relationships where we feel cherished and loved. And so, Father, I pray for young men and young women here that they would hold out for that relationship because we know that you've got it for them. I pray for marriages that are struggling, that they would understand that there is a renewal that is possible of the romance.
I pray for people that have been through circumstances. They think they, they've given up on romance. They've given up on relationships. I pray that you would rekindle something great in their lives. You would help them to understand that they can have a wonderful, thriving relationship again. I pray that you bless the couples here. I pray that you would strengthen them. Father, because we know ultimately a loving relationship is a reflection of our relationship with you. And so may we be a church filled with people that love not only just each other, but we love our spouses, girlfriends, boyfriends, that we love these people that are close to us, our fiancés, that we are close to these people, that we care about them. 